Well, Christmas is amongst us and is here. Are you excited? Yay, it's great. Celebrating all that Christ has done for us and the way that God works in our lives is amazing. I've entitled this sermon, and of course, what you know if you're part of our regular Willow Park family, we've been preaching our way through the Ten Commandments, and today is our final Tenth Commandment. So, wow, Ten Commandments. And you're probably thinking, as many of you did last week, how is Pastor Phil going to slip the 10th commandment into the nativity story. Well, I managed it last year, uh, last week, and, um, and pulled it off. I had absolutely no idea how I would approach it this week. But uh, it, uh, I feel that uh, there is a great connection in the 10th commandment. And if we, uh, I've entitled this message, A New Heart for a New Way. And really, this is what the 10th commandment is. And actually... This is what the Christmas message tells us, is that there we can have a new heart for a new way, a new beginning, a new start. We can know God's strength and God's power at work in our lives. And the Christmas message is so exciting and so dynamic that if you allow it to invade your life, it will completely and utterly change your life. So are you willing to allow that to happen? For him to come and to change and to work in your life. But Exodus, let's read the first tenth commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Actually, The 10th commandment is incredibly apt for the Christian era that we live in as we celebrate Christmas. Because so much about our society in the Christmas season, marketing, the way that retail works is about making us feel inadequate and making us feel as if we do not have enough. So we look around and we can step into covet. We can look at other people and look at other people and the money and the resources that they've got. And we can start to feel insecure, particularly around Christmas when money is short. Children have such high expectations, right? Right? Presents are getting more and more expensive. iPads, mini iPads, big iPads, just iPads. This sermon is not sponsored by Apple, by the way. But you think about that and you feel the pressure. And here is this verse right there, a unique commandment, commandment number 10. And how are we going to cope with the pressure of, that we live in today? How are we going to cope with that? Of course, it talks about, first of all, you should not covet your neighbor's house. You should not covet your neighbor's wife. This necessarily isn't just talking about uh, a sense of a, a sexual implication. This is talking about looking at your household and looking at another household and starting to compare. Well, that wife does that and my wife doesn't. She's not a very good... Proverbs 31, wife, don't see her running a vineyard or anything like that. So we can start to think like that. And then we look and look at the, look at the manservant and the, 
And the female servant, now we don't have a lot of that going on here, do we? Manservants and female servants. We all love that because we all watch Downton Abbey. And, and the Christmas special will be on. But we, we don't have that. But it is to do with the idea about the way our lives run, about the success of our business, about the success of our household, about who we are in society, about the way that we are. And do not covet your neighbor's ox or your neighbor's donkey. And so we think about this. What does this commandment affect me this Christmas? Well, it's obvious that we must learn to live in a different way than looking around at everybody else. For me, it has one clear message as a man and as a husband. And this weekend is a busy weekend in the Collins household. Uh, Yesterday, Michelle and I celebrated 17 years of marriage. And um, thank you. If you are friends on Facebook, you can see a picture of us there. And uh, if you're not, it's worth befriending me just to see that picture. And today is Isabella's 12th birthday. So she's enjoying that. So we're just, we're just going through the kind of family activities and, and parties and, and an 11-year-old girl sleeping at her house on a, a sleepover on Friday night. Hallelujah. And... But what is this commandment really about? For me, I'll tell you what it's about. This commandment is about protecting my family. Think about that for a moment. Protecting my family. Because the covenant encourages us not to think about other people and other situations and the haves and haves not. The commandment teaches us this. It teaches us very simply that if we think right and we act right, this unique commandment will protect our home from being ripped to pieces by the lies of our world and the lies of our society. More divorces, More trauma, more pain can happen over the Christmas period because it brings all the pain and the hurt to the surface. But God does not want this from the nativity story. Because of our consumeristic society, God wants us to understand uniqueness. And as a a husband and as a father, I look at this commandment and this commandment says to me, Phil, keep your mind straight and keep your mind on the right priorities, not around you, but what God has given given you and protect your family by the way that you think. Protect your family. A bit of historical context here for those historians. Of course, the Ten Commandments are a laid out in a kind of legal way of document of a charter between a king and the people. We dealt with that about 12, 13 weeks ago. We talked about that. And if you look at Babylonian writings and the great laws of the Babylonian Empire, you look at the Egyptian writings, the commands. Yes, you have murder, you have adultery, you have stealing. If you look at uh, the Assyrian writings and you look at the different great cultures that surrounded the people in that era, many of the commandments in different ways are reflected in human culture. And that's, that's to be expected because... 
because God has written his commandments on the heart of mankind. It's to be expected that the Babylonians will come up and think, well, it's not very good to murder your neighbor. And let's start to build commandments about that. But the 10th commandment is utterly and completely unique in the whole of ancient history and law. There is no other commandment like this in the whole of the ancient world. Think about that. It's unique. Why is it unique? Because the Ten Commandments deals with something that is surprising and shocking and speaks of the uniqueness of our God. The Ten Commandments deals with our minds. It deals with our brains. It deals with the way we think. It's like God is saying, okay, I've given you all of these commands and these are written here. But the truth is, it starts with the way that you think. God has given his people a unique commandment. Because he's a unique God and he looks at his unique people and he sees your unique life and he wants you to know that he cares about your family, about your life and about your future and gives the 10th commandment to say, come on, get this right and you get the rest right. How many of us men haven't thought about the story of David? For those of you that may be visiting the church and not a Christian or... You're checking us out. There's a great story of King David, and it's a great saga where David, in the time when kings go to war, goes out. What does he do? He looks across and he sees Bathsheba. And things go downhill from that moment. But we realize, actually, that when we look at the life of David and that story... He broke the seventh commandment by committing adultery. He broke the sixth commandment by committing murder. And of course, he broke the ninth commandment by lying. But he broke the tenth commandment that set it all off. It started here. And that's the issue here it's the battle of the brain. And I'm going to surprise you that in the middle of the nativity story, there is a battle of the brain that takes place that is so remarkable, that is so powerful, that is so inconceivable that when you understand this, it could change the rest of your life. We'll get there. But there's a battle of the brain that goes on. And often the battle of the brain is relative, isn't it, to our situations. You know, I drive a car. I drive a Honda Odyssey. Now, I knew it's a van, if you don't know this. I knew that the day... Now, I haven't always driven a Honda Odyssey, okay? In England, when I had two children, I had a BMW. Now, don't be too impressed because they're, they're all made in Europe and they're everywhere. But... But I had a BMW, but I knew the moment we jumped from two children to four children, my days of sports cars and BMWs were gone. I have to zoom around and look cool in a Honda Odyssey. Um, no matter what they, how they load it, it's still a van. And I could sit there and it's relative. There's my Honda Odyssey and there's my best friend who drives a top Porsche. Ouch. But he's got two little children that get in the back of that Porsche. I've got four. It's relative, isn't it? We always compare. I live 
in the most famous, glorious spot in Kelowna. I live in Upper Rutland. Many of my compatriots from the United Kingdom, when they move to Kelowna, they don't choose to live in Upper Rutland. Their goal in life is to live in Kettle Valley. Whoa. Of course English people live in Kettle Valley because they're all obsessed by tea and they need to kettle. Anyway, and so they go there. It's all relative. So I look at what I've got and I compare myself. Well, I don't live in Kettle Valley. I don't drive a Porsche. I don't have this. But actually what this commandment teaches us is that we've got to focus what God has given us now and be blessed by that and not looking around. See, you may seek glory. You may seek glory like Napoleon. Thinking when you read the history of Napoleon is that Napoleon was jealous and envious and coveted the glory of Caesar. Of course, Caesar was fixated with the glory of Alexander the Great. And of course, the great Khan was so gloriously happy when he conquered the 14 cities named after Alexander the Great. And of course, Alexander the Great was, was covetous over Hercules, who never really existed. He's a fictitious figure. You got the picture? You've got the glory, but you're always looking round. Napoleon's looking at Caesar. Caesar's looking at Alexander the Great. And then Alexander the Great, he's looking at some Hercules, who's a Greek myth. We always look around because we always think the grass is greener on the other side. Human beings often, we think that we live in two tents. We live in either the tent of contentment or the tent of discontentment. And our yearnings will always be greater than our earnings. That's the truth. And there are good. We yearn for significance. We learn to be noticed. We yearn to be loved we learn to earn to be accepted. But the mistake that we make in believing that we can be loved and accepted and we believe that we can be, be find respect and find significance is that we think significance and respect is found in the label that we wear on our clothes, the label that is on our car, the area of the label that is on our address where we live and the area and, and so on and so forth that we think that Somehow this way with the right label will look correct and will look amazing. It's a lie. We see that and we understand that. It's a lie that exists. T.S. Eliot put it this way. He said, the desert is not only in a remote southern tropics. The desert is not only around the corner. The desert is squeezed into the tube train next to you. The desert is in the heart of your brother. This is the truth here. That if you think your satisfaction is going to come by looking around at what people have, you discover the wisdom of Eliot is that that way of living is a desert that is in the heart of the human soul and it will never be quenched by everything that you own and have. Never. 
It is a desert that is in our heart. It is a desert that is, that is there. And we live in this pay now, you know, buy now, pay later culture. 52 easy payments to get this is the slogan. I've never known 52 easy payments. There's the haves, the have-nots, and the have-not-paid-for-what-they-have groups. Everything is faster today. Society is becoming more and more in debt. Trillions of dollars our nations are in debt by around the world. All right, Phil, you're saying. We get it. You're giving us the Christmas message about things. No, I'm not. Yeah, I did then. But... I want to take you right to God now. We read the nativity story. And we were introduced to a beautiful character in the nativity story, which is Mary. Luke chapter 2 and verse 16. Let's pick it up there for a moment and read it as we start to understand this and start to know what... So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph. These are the shepherds. And the baby was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So you've got this amazing moment where the shepherds are telling everybody about the good news. It is so amazing. Shepherds are poor. Shepherds are peasants. They're the lowest in the economic setting. They are, they are relevant. They are just the kind of peasant workers. And yet the glory of the Lord came to them. You've heard this preached many times before. But verse 19 is the key. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now think about that verse for a moment. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. Let's step back a moment. What is Mary going to travel through? What has Mary traveled through? Well, Mary, of course, has traveled through the reality of gossiping lips and violent tongues because she is a young woman betrothed and she's found to be with child before she's actually married. And the shame and the agony and the gossip and the rumor around Mary would have been absolutely intense. Mary was to experience a long journey, a painful journey, a horrible journey. And the only place that they could rest their head was in this stable. And there she would give birth to a child. And there, this couple, now imagine this couple, you know what birth is like. You know how there is the smell and the pain and the horribleness, if you like, and yet the glory. And there in the stable, there's no sanitation. Sanitized hospital, there's no midwives, there's no uh, fresh white towels, boiling kettles, there's no, there's no 
sanitization there. This would have stunk. This would have been horrendous. This would have been absolutely terrible for this young girl. Then she has to endure the danger of Herod. They have to get up and they have to move from from Nazareth and they have to go to Egypt. They have to wait until the king dies and they have to live amongst foreign people. They have to cope with the shock and the trauma of moving from one country to another. The different feels, the different smells, the different languages. What I'm saying to you is I ask myself the question, in the middle of this story, how did Mary cope with the pressure and the agony of her life. How did she get through it? Well, you've got the answer in verse 19. You see, you've got the opposite issue to the 10th commandment here. And I'll explain this to you. You see, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. You see, for any one of us, it is our brains that affect us. It is what we think. It's the negative, depressant, horrible thoughts that we can engage in. And Mary had every reason to start to think in a negative, destructive way. She had every reason to feel insecure. She had every reason to feel abandoned. She had every reason to not cope, to have a breakdown, to give up on life. She had every reason to throw in the towel, but she didn't. And why didn't she? Why didn't she have a mental breakdown in her brain? And I'll tell you why. Because she learned something beautiful and amazing. And this, she learned to treasure what God had given her. And she learned to ponder on the glory of God and God's word in her life. See, don't ponder on the things that you don't have. Don't ponder on the possession and the badges, but ponder on the truth and the glory of God and his presence in your life. And you will find that when you ponder on great things and good things and you treasure truth and what holds you in your life, that truth will carry you through life even through the darkest times. Look at the word ponder there. To ponder. It's a lovely word, isn't it? It's, it's ponder. There's some words in English I love. Ponder. I love lingering. I love to linger. I just love that word. It has lingering. Sorry, I'll move on. But we think about pondering. What does pondering mean? Well, it means in your mind to mentally confer, to work through and think through and to live in a thought process that is alive within your brain, to muse, to meditate, to allow yourself to think about it. It means to weigh things up and to take things in. And she seemed to be doing something, and it's mentioned twice in Scripture, that Mary would take what God was doing and would take the Scriptures and the memories she had 
of angels and shepherds and wise men and through her life. And she would muse. She would confer with those things. She would think about those things. She would spend time. You know, maybe a modern way of thinking about it, she would chew them over like like a, a spiritual chewing gum in her brain. And she would think maybe about the glory vision that she had in the angel. Maybe she would think about the gifts and the presence of God and the great blazing star over there. And she would hold scripture in her mind. And she clearly wrote beautiful songs declaring the glory of God. Here is a woman that is going through the darkest time that you can imagine. And here is a woman that doesn't get her mind wrong. She gets her mind right by treasuring the glories of God. So you start to muse, start to weigh this up. Strangely, in the Greek, the word to ponder, which is a bit amazing, actually can be linked to the words preparing to go to war. You know, there are some toxic thoughts in your life, some thoughts that you covet, some thoughts that are destroying you, and it's time that you took Mary's advice and you pondered on the truth of the word of God and you went to war against those negative thoughts. It's time to go to war. And then Christmas season, as we're here, negative thoughts, toxic thoughts can grab us. And there she treasured them. The very word treasure means to protect them. In other words, they were so precious to her that she built a wall around them and she held them as treasures and nothing was going to take away the treasure of what God had done, God was doing, and God is going to do. So imagine now. That rather than you coveting, rather than you going into a negative place, rather than you starting to think in a different way, we took the advice not to covet, but to ponder. And when we ponder on good and wonderful and truthful things, this brings inner transformation in our lives. It's hard work, by the way. Uh, you know, those who in the, study the Bible, you're thinking instantly of, what well, to Romans 12, the renewing of the mind. You're thinking about that, that God has given us a new mind. And that's true. And we see this in the life of this young woman who's pondering on the things of God. The brain. Can I talk to you a moment about the brain? A lot of research has been done about the brain. In recent years, massive amount. And actually, scientific research has caught up with biblical truth that you can renew your brain. For generations, they thought you get what you get and that's it and your brain controls you. But now all the scientific evidence is is that we can actually alter the way we think and alter our brains. It's interesting. It's nothing new. The Apostle Paul wrote this. But this is challenging because when we look at the landscape of our brain, what are we holding and treasuring within it? When you look at it, we're thinking and we're choosing all the time. We're thinking and we're choosing all the time. We're thinking and we're choosing. Are we thinking about things that destroy us and hurt us and rip us down? Or are we choosing to 
think about things that are truthful, that are amazing, that are God-given, that God has been doing in your life and your family, and have you been choosing to, to treasure them? Harvard University, a, a lovely report was written recently about that between 75 and 90% of our ailments in terms of our health, mentally, and the way we feel, and even our, our physical ailments are connected to the way that people think about themselves. And it seems that when we open the door and walk into the brain, that we can feed on those covetous thoughts, those toxic thoughts. I'm going to have a bad week. My life's falling to pieces. I'm insignificant. I'm never going to cope with the stress of that long journey. What are people talking about me now? I'm pregnant and Joseph is looking after me. I won't even be able to understand the language in Egypt. It's going to be impossible. And those thoughts could have gone into a chemical toxic tank and produces poisons that, that, that if you read reports that, that affect the way we think and the way our brains are, are wired. Let's pause for a moment as we're thinking about that. Because actually the 10th commandment, the word covet, means exactly that. And I think I've got a slide to show you. The 10th commandment talks about the fact that when you have the 10th commandment, you, the to covet in the Hebrew means that you chew over. It means that it is poisonous. It means that it's like the idea, the picture between the word covet means somebody that unhealthily takes in as much as they can, consumes as much stuff. It has a kind of picture of being addicted to something and that, that it talks to, to control our lives. We are passionate about it. We crave it. We want it. We're looking for it. There's this, there's this, we try to acquire it, we, to find pleasure in this. This is the word for covered. Now turn this word around for a moment and look at it and think of it in the heart of pondering and treasuring. Mary desires passionately that the will of God would be done in her life. Mary is trying to acquire as much treasure and as much truth and as much goodness to ponder on in her mind. Mary is craving all that God has and finds pleasure in the glory of the Lord. And just read Mary's song, you see? Mary is doing the opposite to what the 10th commandment condemns. She is concentrating on the glorious things, on the blessed things, on what God can do. And let me tell you something, this is hard work. When you want to ponder and you want to meditate and you want to take pleasure in the truths of God, it means you've got to get up in the morning, you've got to open your Bibles, you've got to read the scripture, you've got to think about it, you've got to confer with it, you've got to 
think it through. You've got to treasure what God has done in the past and what God can do now. It means every day of your life, you are starting out with God and you are filling your brain, not with toxins to rewire you, but you're filling it with truth that sets you free. Opposite. Now you might go, oh, Pastor Phil. <laughs> are, you, are you talking about positive thinking? Are you talking about, are you becoming, you know, these great speakers, motivational speakers? Um, Tony Robinson, you know, these kind of guys. I don't know if you've heard of these uh, guys. I. I've been to one of those seminars in London, listened, and, and you know, it's, it's what you think, it's what you think, it's about your positive thinking, it's about your positive thinking. You see, positive thinking alone will not bring freedom to your life. I'm sorry. You can think about positive thinking and you can read about it and all the self-help books that are there in chapters down there, you can go to all the motivational seminars and you can hear guys like Tony Robinson. And I've been to these events in my past and in business and I've watched them and I've seen them walk across coals of fire. And yes, I can do it. Whoo, and they walk across. But it won't do it. It's not just about positive thinking, no chance. Because positive thinking alone may have some benefits, of course, but it won't change a man's heart. Because what changes a man's heart? It's the power of the gospel. It's the truth of the word of God. What makes it stick in your brain is the power of the Holy Spirit at work within your heart, within your brain, and transforming your life. And God's spirit, God's word, God's life was with Mary, and it changed the way she thought about things, and it got her through the darkest hours to that very point. What was she pondering as she saw the King of kings and the Lord of lords hanging on that cross? See, it's the word of God and the spirit of God and a changed heart in Christ that brings the ultimate transformation of who we are. You see, trying to satisfy your life with other things other than God's word, other than God's spirit, is like trying to quench your thirst by drinking salt water from the ocean. Nothing will quench it. So what about you now? This Christmas, this time, we've reflected on Mary, pondering, treasuring. You have a choice to go away and decide how you're going to order your life and how you're going to order your pondering life, your musing life, your inner dialogue, your inner person is what this is about. Are you going to be like Mary in a stable who ponders the glory of truth? And you may look around and say, I'm in a stable, but I really want to be in that inn. Or are you going to ignore this and continue to feed the cauldron of our mind with the things that don't bring life. But when you find Christ 
and you treasure Christ and you read his word and you memorize scripture and you raise in the day and through the day and you set time aside, it can only, you know, they, scientists actually show 10 minutes of different thinking a day can change the way that you are. Imagine if you just took 10 minutes to meditate on the significance and the way you're loved by God and how God accepts you, how that could change you. It's time to start pondering. It's time to start treasuring. It's time to set your mind on things above. As things above as Christ has come to this world. Let me finish in the verse with Ezekiel. What does Ezekiel say? Because really, she pondered them in her heart. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26. Friends, Mary has taught us this morning how to beat the tyranny of coveting your neighbor's wife, manservant, female servant, house, oxen and donkey, whatever those things are for you. Mary has taught us that to treasure what God is doing and to live in your mind and your heart and dwelling on things above brings such freedom and hope and changes the people that, into the people God wants us to be. Thank you, Mary, for that. I'm amazed by her. Read through the whole nativity story again with that in your mind. And look at all the words spoken to Mary and what she would have pondered on this week. And then think about all the words that God speaks to you in Scripture. And what God has done in your life. And start to dwell on those things. You may say, but I'm not a Christian. I'm, I, 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 this sounds amazing. Life changing. It sounds like there's a God involved in changing a man's heart. It sounds like God comes and gets involved in my toxic thoughts. And gives me a new beginning. And change me. Absolutely. That's why this baby was born. So we can begin again. We can be free again. We can open truth. We can know God's presence. We can ponder on good things. We can treasure those things in our heart. Just as Mary taught us to. But it starts with you committing your life totally to Christ. It starts with you saying, as for me and my household, as for me and my life, I will follow Jesus. It starts by saying sorry for all the toxicity, the sinfulness in our hearts, and asking the Lord to forgive you, and he will forgive you in a moment. And it will change you. Maybe that's what you need this morning. To get a new heart and a new beginning. The takeaway for us as church is this Christmas season, every day set some time aside to ponder and to treasure what God is doing in your life. 
Even if it's 10 minutes, do it until next weekend. Every day, 10 minutes. Find a new heart and find a new way. But there may be those of you that now need to receive a new heart by finding the way, which is Jesus. Jesus.